0: Thanks for joining us at Keys for SLPs, opening new doors for speech-language pathologists to better serve clients throughout the lifespan. A weekly audio course and podcast from SpeechTherapyPD.com. I'm your host, Mary Beth Hines, a curious SLP who embraces lifelong learning. Keys for SLPs brings you experts in the field of speech-language pathology, as well as collaborative professionals, patients, and caregivers. To discuss therapy strategies, research, challenges, triumphs, and career opportunities. Engage with a range of practitioners from young innovators to pioneers in the field as we discuss a variety of topics to help the inspired clinician thrive. Each episode of Keys for SLPs has an accompanying audio course on speechtherapypd.com available for point 0.1 ASHA CEUs, We are offering an audio course subscription special coupon code to listeners of this podcast. Type the word KEYS for $20 off. With hundreds of audio courses on demand and new courses released weekly, it's only $59 per year with the code word KEYS. Visit SpeechTherapyPD.com and start earning ASHA CEUs today. Welcome to this episode of Keys for SLPs, Keys to Transferring States as an SLP. I am your host, Mary Beth Hines. Before we get started, here are the financial and non-financial disclosures. I am the host of Keys for SLPs and receive compensation from speechtherapypd.com. No relevant non-financial relationships exist. Michelle Nielsen and Megan Whalen receive an honorarium from speechtherapypd.com for this episode. No relevant non-financial relationships exist. And now we welcome our guest today, Michelle Nielsen and Megan Whalen. Michelle Nielsen, MS, CCC, SLP, is a speech-language pathologist currently working in a pediatric outpatient clinic and a university hospital. She received her bachelor's degree from University of Iowa in Communication Science and Disorders and her master's degree from Midwestern University in Speech-Language Pathology. She holds active speech-language pathology state licenses in Illinois, California, Ohio, and Texas. Michelle has been practicing for six years as an SLP in charter schools, private schools, private practices, outpatient rehab, inpatient rehab, and acute care with adult and geriatric patients. Megan Whalen, MS, CCC, SLP, COM, is a speech-language pathologist and certified oral-facial myologist. She is the director at NWA Speech Therapy and also works at Flight Speech Therapy in Northwest Arkansas. She is an independent contractor teletherapy provider in three states. Megan is a moderator and blog post creator for SpeechTherapyPD.com. Megan has been practicing speech pathology for over a decade in Colorado, Arizona, Connecticut, Ohio, and Arkansas. She has worked in private practice, autism programs, and school settings. Welcome, Michelle and Megan. We are so happy to have you on Keys for SLPs to talk about transferring states as an SLP. Between the two of you, you have worked in nine states. So fun, isn't it? Yes, it is. Well, welcome. You both have such interesting journeys. Your family situations have required you to transfer states several times, and you have worked in so many different settings. So will you tell us about your journeys as SLPs transferring states several times? Of course. So
1: thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, it's been a crazy journey, to say the least. I started out in my clinical fellowship in Illinois, I had graduated from Midwestern uh, University in Downers Grove, so it just seemed like a natural transition. My, all my family and friends live in Illinois, and I started working in the charter schools in Chicago. I had finished my clinical fellowship there, and then I ended up moving to California. In California, I worked in a private practice that saw birth to 75. So I kind of saw a little bit of everything. I was also the supervisor of SLPAs, SLPCFs, as well as doing my own caseload. So that was kind of crazy. I was there for two years. And then I moved over to Ohio and I in Cincinnati, and I worked in or began working in a private practice that also served private schools uh, for speech therapy with kindergarten through eighth grade. And then I ended up working PRN in a hospital um, and I saw inpatient rehab, outpatient rehab, acute care, kind of everything under the sun with adults and geriatric patients. And now I'm in Lubbock, Texas, um, working in a pediatric outpatient clinic through the hospital, as well as working acute care in the hospital as a PRN. So it's been pretty crazy to say the least of each state and definitely have gone all over the board when it comes to the populations as well as the settings.
0: Well, thank you for sharing. Yes. Since you have been practicing for six years, that's a lot of transferring (laughs) in states. (laughs) Now your first (laughs) move to California, was that on your own or was that because of your family? Yes, good question. So it's
1: all been for my husband. He was not my husband at the time to say the least, but we had met in Chicago and he had moved out to San Jose, California, and we did long distance for a year. And then I decided to move out there to be with him to that we would get married one day. And we did, thankfully. It was not um, it was a good process to say the least, but his job has taken us each time that we've moved. And so it's been a crazy ride. Um, because we typically find out that we're moving and we have to move within like a week and that Mm -hmm. obviously is not possible with our jobs as speech therapists and so I typically will have to wait around and kind of hang out for like another month um, just to give my coworkers and my the owners some notice um, since it's not the
0: most ideal situation of leaving quickly and and then you also have to quickly find a job wherever you're going
1: yes exactly yeah so we yes (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so finding a job, finding a new place to live. Um, typically, my husband will go to the the new state before I leave and he'll find us a new place. But as we find out the news, it's typically, you know, anywhere in the country. Um, and so we are trying to figure out every time, you know, how we can make this easier. We're staying here, I think, for the next year, at least. So that's helpful to say the least. But we don't always have a heads up when we get the new job. so.
0: We just take it as we can. Yes, yes. So the, the, the nomad SLP, right? Yes, <laughs> jack of all trades and <laughs> definitely a nomad, to say the least. <laughs> um, all right, well, Megan.
2: Well, thank you for having me. So yes, very similar to Michelle, my husband works for a beverage company and Pepsi. And so we have moved, this will be our sixth move. Well, this is our sixth state that we've lived in. So for his company, anytime we move, we, he gets a great opportunity to, you know, move up in the corporate ladder. And so I'm just kind of along for the ride. And as soon as we had kids, we kind of decided that we were going to kind of slow down, that we had some say in how often we wanted to move once we kind of got to a certain level. So we are hopefully non relocatable for just a little bit while they, you know, do a little bit of their elementary school career. So yes, I Started in grad school, got married, and then moved to Colorado. And I was there in a private practice, in a charter school, also for about six months before we found out we were moving. Very similar to Michelle, we normally have found out and had to move instantly. So he always goes down there first, and I kind of will. Put together everything, get the house, house ready, ready, get, get packed, it. and then start on the licensure process. So that has been, I feel now at the sixth move, I kind of, we have a process of knowing the first things to do when you're trying to get relicensed or newly licensed in a different state. And so I've done Colorado, then we moved to Arizona, and I worked in a public school setting, I then moved to and we were there for two years and then we lived in Connecticut for four years and I was able to work in a autism program and two private practices and then we moved to Ohio and I worked in a private practice and then now we are currently in Arkansas. So that would be our sixth state. And It has been um, a fun journey, but I feel like I have learned things along the way to kind of be able to narrow down the things that are super important and like the things you have to do in order to kind of get your ducks in a row when you're trying to look for a job. So I think that that's something that Michelle and I can definitely give some feedback for anyone that. Has a similar situation where you're kind of a spouse and you're moving a lot or personally you're moving and you want a change. I mean, lots of different reasons for moving, but we can give you some good insight and some good things to do when you are trying to either keep your licenses or try to get new ones. So,
0: well, and each state has different requirements.
1: Yes, they're all very different too so that doesn't help <laughs>
0: <laughs> so some states require both like the department of health or the board of speech Language pathology then as well as educational boards so every time it's a new adventure as far as getting licensed
2: right? In some states require, so not only do you have to have, you know, your praxis for your speech practice, but in Connecticut, if you wanted to work in an educational setting, you also had to have your elementary praxis. Mm-hmm. So that was really, that was something that I never knew was something that would be on the radar of part of license requirements. And so that was kind of something that I think it just shows you how much each state varies in the process to get that license can be really meticulous and time-consuming. So, yeah.
0: I so think that was a separate praxis for elementary education?
2: Yes. Yeah, so it was basically if you work in an education setting, so working in the public school system, I needed a praxis, the just regular praxis, not our speech praxis, but like the Praxis that an elementary school teacher would take in order to practice to get my Department of Education license. But that's been the only state that has required that. And I just saw a... She was asking us, did you say praxis and passing a test? Yeah, so praxis. But... It has changed so much. I currently have my Connecticut license. I've kept it active. And now I believe that the requirements are not the same. I don't believe you somehow. I think that they realize that that's something that we don't really, that's an additional test that we don't really need to have. So I believe that that has changed.
0: That's that's always exciting when uh, one of the steps, has been removed and it makes it a little bit easier for people. Um, Speaking of making it a little bit easier for people, Michelle, at one point you had to retake the ACT. Yes. um, When I read that, I was like, is that a bad joke? I mean, the
2: ACT,
0: um, you hadn't taken it since high school, right? Nope.
1: Didn't take it since high school and yes, had to take it again. But also Jordan had asked, is it an easy test? Um, So just to go back, Megan, was it easy to take the praxis or did you? study for it?
2: I mean, I definitely studied for the math portion. That's never been been something that I excelled at. No, it was, you felt like you were back in high school preparing for the ACT. And so, so by, I guess, those time tests too are never fun. So that element of you needed that to pass to get your job and also, you know, having something time that you felt like you had to perform very well. I don't think it was easy and it's definitely not something that we have, or I have been familiar with, with, you know, trick and all the different types of math um, since high school. So it was, I mean, I, Definitely had a lot of setting I had to do for the math problems because it was definitely something I have not even thought about for many, many years.
1: And that kind of goes back to your question, Mary Beth, too, is, yeah, I mean, I had to study for the ACT because I do not remember fractions and all of that right. lovely situations. But yes, no, for (laughs) Illinois, you had to also have your educator license. So it was an SLP non-teaching educator license, as well as your state SLP license and your ASHA certification. And so you, in order to get this um, SLP non-teaching license, you had to take you'll, or you had to have the ACT score within a certain amount of period of time as a certain score. Um, And then you had to take like also like a praxis, but it was like an, like the non-teaching test. And you also had to take a, there was like three tests you had to take in order to work in the schools. And also in Illinois, like you have to have certain courses that you had to take in graduate school. So I know that even my friends that were teachers that took their graduate programs or had their undergraduate programs in other states, they didn't have the educator license requirements that Illinois required specifically. So it was really hard um, to get into the school system. I had my professional educator license. You have it for five years once you get it. Um, And I have not kept it up because I don't anticipate going back into the school system, especially not in Illinois. But I do know that in even Ohio, when I was looking initially for jobs, applying to the public schools, you also had to have a certain educator license. And I think it was, you could prove that you had it in another state and they would kind of do reciprocity, but you also had to like prove it. And there was a lot of extra paperwork, um, which I just didn't find was, you know, worth the paperwork and everything. So I just figured to go into private practice in the hospital setting more so was geared towards me.
0: Well, that's understandable, certainly. So you also, of course, have to get fingerprinted. And this is something that you both mentioned that the fingerprints do not transfer. So you have to be physically in that state to get fingerprinted, which can be hard if you're trying to set up shop from another state.
1: Yes. I remember like going to California because it was the first I was transferring from my um, temporary license because it was my first year as like a true SLP out of my CF. And so I remember it was even more challenging because I had to get my temporary license than it was supposed to be my permanent license in California. Um, And California was on paper. They were doing paper applications. It took like two months for them to process the application. Now I think they're online because um, when I did my renewal for California, they were online due to COVID. Uh, but I was like, California, you are the tech capital of the world. At least San Jose yeah, was. Think- I'm like, come on, get yourself together. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I like think that, right. Yeah, But yes, yeah, so you have to be in the physical state to get fingerprinted um, in order for it to count. I don't, uh, Megan, have you found any other way to do that?
2: So when I was going from Colorado to Connecticut, I was able to go to the fingerprinting location in Colorado. And they there was some sort of... Um, it was almost like you had to guarantee that you had to have a um, almost like a written excuse saying that you were trying to obtain this licensure, but you weren't in the state yet. So there were definitely hoops that you had to go through in order to get it, but it was possible. But it was really only in Colorado that I found was kind of uh, tricky. Well, no, they were a little bit more accommodating in that that they could kind of send everything over. That's nice. And then, yeah, Connecticut was able to honor that, so that was nice because it's just been big. We've had similar to you, Michelle. We've had really big moves, and so we yeah. don't have, have the opportunity to drive or to fly. To drive <laughs> fly, or fly, and then when kids came in, it made things more complicated. So yeah. that um, that was nice. That was one nice thing about Connecticut. But the process there, by far, was the hardest. Really. Yeah, especially compared to Ohio, that process of the educator license was, it was definitely time consuming, but it was not as tedious as the Connecticut education and then health science type of um, licensure. So,
0: And then some states require your actual transcript and then some will accept copies. So that's been different for you all as well. Well,
2: yeah. and I think maybe two states required actually having the clinical care coordinator for the graduate school program sign off. They had to write that you completed your number of hours. How many hours? Yep. And it could not be that there was one general paper. It had to have been head lettered to that department. So you know you couldn't just keep. This like document saying you know Megan was able to fulfill all her requirements. She had this many hours. It had to be from that, you know, person. Look like this. (laughs) Yeah.
1: It's like the standard. I have a packet of a manila envelope that's in my closet that has all of my paperwork from grad school. And it's like the standards for clinical certification, and it's a verification form by your program director. Right. Is that what you're talking about, Megan?
2: Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but some needed the ASHA and additionally, an actual like letterhead, a little statement from that director also verifying. And then even in Connecticut, we needed my previous employer to like verify and kind of fill out a survey as... Oh, wow. um, was I part-time? What, you know, my characteristics were as an employee. I mean, interesting how many hours I worked. It was,
1: really? definitely- I've never had that happen. I don't think I've ever had to turn in like a employer satisfaction. Yeah. So- <laughs> yeah.
2: It was definitely really interesting. Just looking back so currently, now in Arkansas, it was just a breeze. I mean, it was just easy peasy. I mean, they don't accept the, you know, reciprocity, but they honor that you have had other places. And then they kind of put you on this, um, you know, not a provisional, but a permanent SLP licensure. Where another thing happened too is sometimes, even though you have a ton of experience, so when I went to Connecticut, even though I had had four years of experience, then they put me down as an initial provider. And so then going to the school district, you would have to come in as almost a brand new new grad. grad. You had to have all the extra requirements of supervision when you were like an initial provisional licensee. So a ton more, you know, pop-in observations from your principal all of these things that you kind of need that first year, almost like our really a like, a CFY. And that was really interesting too. And even though, you know, you could say I've had this experience on paper because you were that initial like provisional licensee, they have to pretty much put you in that category, even though you, Came in with all these, you know, graduate hours. So that was really
0: different. Oh, that's interesting. Do you think that would be because like you had under five years of experience, or would that be for anyone transferring at any time?
2: Honestly, I don't know. I they made it seem like it was just if it, it was your pretty much your provisional initial licensee to that department. Overall, it was definitely way complicated in that state. So I don't know. I mean, I guess it kind of depends because I was under five years, but it still doesn't seem like they had a good system. Even say you were tenured or you had 10 years, it didn't seem like in that initial type of kind of transfer from that out of state to that, New type of licensee that you would have, a new type of kind of like honor system, not honor system, but some sort of kind of transfer of the experience that you have.
0: Oh, that's interesting. So, what is your that? That's a, you. You guys have given us a lot of detail, <laughs> uh, a lot of red tape, a lot of. Okay. Uh, You might scare some people away from ever wanting to transfer states, but given all that, what is your advice to someone contemplating a move? Uh,
2: So I think being super organized has really helped the process. I have created Excel documents. Right now, there's not really a system to kind of... So ASHA does not, you know, yeah, they have the CE registry, but there is not a database of how many different types of license you have and when they're due and how many, you know, CMH hours you need. So... I have things in an Excel document that kind of show me when things are due, how many hours I need. And that has been really helpful just to make sure I'm accountable. And another big thing is making sure that whenever you are transferring to a different state and you want to keep the previous type of um, licenses that you transfer your address, because I mm-hmm. got in a really bad way with that. Said Connecticut license and let it lapse because I didn't update my address, and so luckily it was not as bad of a process to kind of go through. Because certain states, if you let it lapse, then you actually have to redo some of those crazy requirements of even some states. I've seen you have to redo your speech practice if it's been like a certain amount of time, certain amount of you know time from when you last practice. So. Luckily, that wasn't as bad, but that is my biggest advice is keeping making sure you're really if you intentionally want to keep that license in that state, then you make sure that you go through and then put in your new address and all your information so that it's just another safeguard so that you are aware of when things come to you, because a lot of Places don't send you emails. I know I think Ohio will send you an email about when Mm -hmm. things are due, similar to Asha, but not every state is very electronic and savvy and Mm -hmm. organized like that. So I think that those are probably my two biggest things to kind of help make sure that I know when things are due. Because some are due based on the fall, you know, so some September is a day like for uh, or a time for two of my licensures but then another one is when you obtained that first initial time. So not everyone does them kind of annually at the same time. Some of them are based on when you applied.
1: Yeah I would agree and I I am a firm believer of the ASHA CE registry. I don't know how I would keep track of all my hours and with what they are. So, I think it's like 30 bucks to pay for it, yeah. and I say pay it. It is the best thing to keep me organized with all of that and to make sure that I'm never audited and if I am ever audited, I just have this one piece of paper that I send electronically or printed off or whatever they need to do. I've never been audited, knock on wood, but it's been really helpful to have the Asha CE registry on board. Also, I on my resume I write down all of my licenses, the number as well as when they expire, and I keep them in my Dropbox on my computer as well as I'll I like make a screenshot of all of my actual active licenses. So that's been really helpful to keep me on track. Like Megan said, I do have a couple states that would send me. I think Illinois was one of them, and Ohio sent me. I don't think California did, but Illinois and Ohio definitely sent me emails saying, your license is about to expire. Please renew. And yes, the big thing is don't let your licenses lapse, especially if you have any indication that you may be going back. I still have all of mine active and I'm only actively treating in Texas right now. Illinois is home. So that'll always be something that we will dream to go back to at some point. But I don't know if that'll actually ever happen. California is just so big. So why not keep it? And they they make the most amount of money, I feel like, um, with teletherapy. Right. So I always am like, maybe if I need something right. you know, here and there, we'll keep those. But um, definitely being organized, keeping it in all like a Dropbox on your computer, sending yourself up reminders on your phone when things expire, just so that you're not lapsing and that you don't have to take those extra credits um, and courses back again. because it's just a pain that you don't need to do.
2: I love that you put them on your resume
1: Yes, <laughs> well,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: people look at me like I'm crazy because they're like, "Oh, yeah. you are licensed in Texas and Ohio and Illinois and California," and I'm like, "Yeah, here <laughs> <yeah>, though." <laughs> yeah. So it just keeps you well rounded, I guess, too, that you've yeah. had to maintain all of those. And so, Mary Beth, I think you would ask, like, because you were saying, that we're kind of deterring people from moving, but no, it's it's a wonderful experience to move from state to state to see and be involved with a different populations, different settings, getting to know other people around the country. It's been really a blessing in disguise, you know, because it's definitely scary to move. Um, (laughs) And it's intimidating at times, but it's been so wonderful. And I'm so grateful for the opportunities that we've been given.
0: Well, thank you for saying that. And I was just kidding about people off. I know, I know. (laughs) You gotta you gotta joke around a little bit, right?
1: (laughs) Of course, of course. I love it, Mary Beth.
0: So one thing that I like that you mentioned that you do is you go to Yelp. So you find out that you are going to be transferred and you go to Yelp. Can you talk a little bit about that? I'm such a weirdo and love Yelp. Um, There's no financial like
1: disclosures that I have to do. I don't work for Yelp. Yelp. (laughs) Yeah. We're not being sponsored by Yelp in any capacity, but no. So I, okay. So when I moved to Ohio, I want to tell you, it was the hardest time finding a job. I literally found the job through the, of, of the clinic that I worked at through ISHA, which is Illinois Speech and Hearing Association, they were doing their annual presentation or conference. I couldn't think of the word. And I was just going booth to booth to booth. And someone was like, oh, I know, you know, an owner that works there. And I was like, great. Um, So once I got that little nugget, I went to Yelp and looked at reviews from parents reviews from other people I went on Facebook kind of Google just to kind of see the ins and outs because again I knew nothing about Cincinnati Ohio when I first moved <laughs> there I had never visited even though I was from Chicago which is not far so yeah Yelp has been a, one of my best friends when it comes to searching <laughs> and because like indeed and cuz initially I like would go to only indeed and um LinkedIn. Um, but I was noticing that not every job was posted there and I'd find these little, like, you know, again, I was looking initially for private practices in San Jose and then also in Cincinnati. And so not every private practice would post or they'd already been hired or they were like in process of looking for somebody. So I found it as a little gem of a nugget to do Yelp and yes, no financial disclosures. Yes. Well, (laughs) good advice.
0: Good advice.
2: <laughs> yeah, I also went on Facebook um, and looked, and that's how I found the Ohio job that I worked at too. And I just messaged the owner saying I'm moving in a, in you know a few weeks, and just didn't know if you had any availability. I'm mm-hmm. interested in this sort of, you know, this type of Population. training and this you know, population, and that was, that served me well, and I was able to get that interview. So, you know, I feel like you're right, Michelle, not every job is listed on Indeed. Not every person needs Or maybe they're thinking about needing to hire someone and then it just kind of happens where that little bug is planted in their ear and then maybe someone decides to switch going to a different population or being a stay-at-home mom. And so sometimes I feel like I've been in a few of those situations where it just kind of fell in my lap and it was a really good situation. So very, a non-traditional type of way of getting a job, but I also got my Connecticut job through my veterinarian. He (laughs) said he had known it. I had a family friend and I had looked at the (coughs) HR, lots of different um, job openings and there weren't any in what I wanted to do. And he was like, oh, I know someone at the HR department and I know someone who's a speech pathologist. I will give you their email and their number, call them." And I think you also have to kind of, be really brave and just realize that you have to do those things that are out of your comfort zone because tell everyone you're a speech pathologist looking for <laughs> sometimes being super brave gets you those opportunities that may not have shown up on indeed or on any other job posts so that has been really helpful too i love that i love that
0: got lot so, love veterinarians
2: right right yeah. <laughs>
0: So networking wherever you are, whether you're right. taking your dog or your cat, or, or always making
1: an impression for right. sure. I feel like anytime, I feel like people will open up to you too. They're like, "Oh, like my kids in speech therapy." Like that's like when we moved to Texas. I, I had a, I was nine months pregnant when we moved. Not ideal. Don't do that. Uh, moving cross country. Um, yes, but <laughs> my neighbor was wonderful and found out that her son was in speech therapy. And she was like, I love this clinic. And granted, I never even applied to the clinic. Didn't even, I didn't even think I was going to go back to work for a long time. I went back after four months of, you know, postpartum, but it was kind of like one of those things. If the right opportunity fell into my lap, I would take it. And, but yeah, just telling people about your story and, um, opening up to like your veterinarian, your dog walker, your neighbor, typically people are really receptive when you're saying, Oh, I'm a speech therapist. And, you know, and I how just, are you moved. Doing? And I just <laughs> moved, yeah. And yeah. they'll be so, most people are pretty wonderful,
2: right?
0: So, speaking of people, so you have moved to states where you did not know one single person. So, when you're moving somewhere where you know no one, what are your strategies to help you network, Megan? <laughs> so,
2: I recently joined a, when I knew that we were moving, I joined, there was a local SLP moms group in the um, Arkansas that I'm in. And so I was able to join that. And then I am also very lucky to have a son who receives speech therapy. So I also had a kind of an in with that and got him scheduled right away. And then I'm now currently working for that practice. So I feel like being brave, putting your name out there and trying to join all the things. And when you do have school age kids, you are really meeting a ton of people through school events, or I feel like lots of places can Almost have that small town feel where your neighbors or you know people that you work with or not that you work with but your spouse's coworkers or family friends may have a friend that is a you know speech pathologist. So I also feel like we've had a lot of those type of situations where people will kind of recommend or you know you just go to the veterinarian and you talk about what you're doing and those kind I of I love that in your lap and. Um, so during a few moves, we were given a, for Pepsi, we were given this career relocation service where they will go through your resume, they'll kind of help you look for jobs. And it's been super helpful. Although I never ended up needing to use them, I kind of always ended up doing the Facebook thing or kind of those opportunities just kind of fell in my lap. But there's lots of ways, I think, when, especially if you're a spouse and you're relocating because of their job or just building that new network, you have to kind of just go out of your comfort zone and and talk to all the people.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I mean, again, um, I'm interested if the attendees are moving for their spouses or if they're just moving for fun, but I would definitely say it's been nice for us because again, I moved for my husband's job, just like Megan. Um, My husband's a coach. He works for coaching staffs for basketball. So we are very lucky that we have a built-in network, um, whether they like us or not. Um, There are a bunch of wives that are all coming from all new places, and so they typically don't know anyone either. So that's been super helpful. Depending on where we are, sometimes, you know, I'm a little bit younger than some of the other individuals. So they're always like, you're just like a baby. And I'm like, yes, (laughs) and I have a baby, but let's talk about life and things like that. But I would definitely agree getting on Facebook, which is so cliche, I know, but to like Find those a little, there's like a Lubbock mom. Um, that and so there's like a bunch of moms in the area. Something I should do better and I don't is like talk to the moms that are of the day, like like kids in the daycare that we go to. Also just finding a great work environment. I know that sounds again kind of cliche, but when you interview with these companies, finding a company that there's a lot of other people with that you work with that are, you know, are like-minded individuals that are friendly figuring out the culture because they can really be wonderful assets to your livelihood and the new place, but also making you feel at home um, and just having that social aspect. And, you know, especially when you're not close to family um, and your friends from, you know, the next place. The only thing that's hard for me is because we are typically in a place for like one to two years. So it's hard to make (laughs) friends and be like, I'm going to be leaving in an unknown amount of time. Um, So I don't always do the best with that, but I will say that we are blessed to have the other wives on the coaching staff as well as we can reach out to like daycare and opportunities like that.
0: Great. Good, good advice. Okay, so you guys have both moved several times, nine times between the two of you. And so you are expert job searchers. And we've talked a little bit about how to find a job and the requirements. Um, But what, what advice can you offer fellow SLPs
2: So the one good thing I feel like about moving is knowing the right questions to ask. I do feel like you can definitely go into an interview and you get vibe and a feel for kind of that work environment and whether you feel like that's a good fit, but also not only asking those questions to in the interview to your potential employer, but also to the coworkers. And I feel like that's a super Mm -hmm. thing about paperwork, about you know, I've had lovely people give me their number and just say, call me and we can chat about everything. So I think having the opportunity to move, you also understand the things that are really important for you to ask. And um, a lot of that I think is the hours and especially the paperwork and the things that help your work life balance. And also kind of, getting a feel for how supportive your boss can be about certain things about, you know, whether you have big life events coming up or, um, I think that also having a boss who is someone that you look up to, but also someone that, you know, really wants to be your cheerleader. So say your child is sick, you know, understanding that, You will have to be the one to kind of uh, you want to be the one to take care of that kiddo, but also you'll do your hardest to make up those hours that you lost so I think that those are kind of those questions that you go through and I think that they change based on the stage of life that you're in because those were definitely not the questions that I asked about what happens when my child is sick those are not the questions that I asked previously to having kids but those are really important questions for me now because I do want to have that good balance and also be there for my kids and not feel guilty for having to take off if I have to pick you know one of them up from school. And so I think kind of asking those questions about hours and you know your requirements for making up sessions and the paperwork and the um evaluation and kind of negotiating those duties and really kind of being able to honor all of your experience to kind of advocate for yourself. So I think that that's a long winded statement, but I think that that, you know, the ability to move around has really served me well and being able to know the things that I like that have gone well for me and the things I would like to change in that next work environment and the good questions to ask that are important for me to kind of be a better mom, a better SOP to make sure that my life feels pretty balanced. I love that.
1: Absolutely. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but yes, no, I agree. I think that's super important. I think, yes, like when looking for a job and as y'all have seen, my experience ranges from all over the place, definitely trying to get more in the realm of hospital-based SLP. But I, like Megan said, every move, I have kind of been in a different mindset headspace. So it's definitely different when I look for jobs now. But like she said, asking the right questions and you're probably wondering, okay, well, what is the right question? Right, um, yes, I did not specify that. Too. No, and your questions are gonna be different than mine. And like right. you said, it's it's d- totally dependent on, you know, what you need in that moment. So, you know, one thing that I've learned good and bad about you know moving often is you know different cultures within workspaces as well as like you know what you like in or dislike within a boss what you like and dislike within a work environment or your hours or your caseload and that definitely I think has helped with like moving from place to place because I know if I were in one place all the time I wouldn't know half of the questions to ask that I would and a lot of the questions that I ask initially is you know What are the expectations of me on a day-to-day basis while I'm in the clinic, the hospital, et cetera? What are my outside um, opportunities or what are things that are my obligations that are expected outside of this work? Am I expected to bring work home or is this something that is going to be built into my Caseload of the day. What's the culture here? Do you know what do you really enjoy about this job? What's keeping you here? You know, also how long have you been here? What is the turnover rate? Because I found that you know, obviously with a high turnover, there's something typically. And granted, I move all the time, so like you know, maybe I'm being crazy. But you know, I just I think that when you have a place that has high turnover rate and people you know don't seem happy, that tells you kind of something about the job too. And so just kind of seeing why they really like working there and what keeps them there. And, you know, if there's anything that they would like to change and, you know, not always everyone's, you know, completely honest in an interview on the other side as well. Mm -hmm. So it's hard, but I think you can get a good judge of character, especially when you have more than one interview, like with the hospital that I'm working at now, I had six interviews with different (laughs) people. And initially I was only going to be working in the hospital. So I had met with like, the supervisor, the like department head, the HR person, I met with four staff members um, on the acute care side. And then I met with the outpatient manager because they were thinking they may need me later, which they do. And I'm working there now, but, and meeting with, you know, all of their staff. And so it was kind of nice to like intimidating at first when I was like, okay, I have six interviews or something like that, but nice because you get to kind of see along the spectrum of everybody and kind of getting to know them a little bit here and there. And like you said, if they're willing to like talk to you and if they're not pushy, because that's one thing that you really want to look for is somebody who's going to like want you to grow and develop and asking, you know, how do you, how do you see, how do you see me fitting into your workspace and how do you see me growing in this role rather than just, you know, if you want to sit there and do day-to-day work and that's totally fine, but it just kind of depends on where you are in your career.
0: Good advice. Thank you. So, Megan, you mentioned that you have worked with someone who is kind of not really a recruiter, but a kind of a job coach. Have you worked directly with recruiters? And if so, how has that worked?
2: So, within the relocating service, they do provide spouses with a career assistance program. They do kind of almost give you a little indeed. Type of database for that type of setting that you want to look at. They kind of give you like the mean um, salary based on, especially going from the West Coast to East Coast, that salary definitely changed a lot. So that has been helpful, but I also have not always used them because I feel like I found alternative ways to get a hold of people. And Not everyone was posting those things on that database. So, I when I first moved from Colorado to Arizona, I did sign up for a contracting service, and that is something that I remember in grad school. They really kind of advise you not to do because they kind of say if something sounds too good to be true, then it usually is. But it was actually a really wonderful experience for me, and that's wonderful. yeah. And they actually did a great job of advocating. Now, granted in Arizona, the caseloads are pretty high, but they did a really good job of kind of advocating my duties of, you know, yeah, you are not responsible. You are contract, you are not responsible to do the best duty and to do the lunch duty and all the other things that sometimes can come along with being a school SLP. So I did not find the negative aspects in that. Um, I mean, they did And I also had a great school environment. So I I felt like I was part of that school district as well as kind of having another type of like work platform as being a contractor. So I had a really good experience in that way. So I do feel like recruiters can really help in certain situations. And it worked well for me in that instance. So
1: that's wonderful, Megan.
2: Yeah. I had a...
1: I've only had one experience with recruiters like that I've utilized, I should say. I used a recruiter for my first job, my CF year. And like Megan said, I didn't even think about this, but you're so right. Using a recruiter and having a contract job has the benefits because you don't have to do lunch duty and you right. don't have to do bus duty unless you really want to by all means, but you're not obligated to do those things. But on the flip side of that too, is at least with my job, again, I was working in the charter schools in the city of Chicago, and there's a whole other situation that goes on with the city of Chicago with schools. And not that I don't love them, but they're kind of a hot mess. But like they 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 strike a lot in the city, and I'm yeah. fully support them for doing that. But it was really uncomfortable because when they were striking, our contracts are not through. Their CPS or Chicago Public Schools. And so we, it was very divided. And so they would get really upset with us that we're contract workers. I also didn't love the fact that I was like a single person at three different schools and three different sites. Right. And I was the only SLP, but I think that had nothing to do with the recruiter itself. But I think that the recruiters can be really helpful, at least getting your feet in the door or foot in the door with new lawyers. Cause I know that some will only do contract work, you know, and they won't do a public school. I've never done it with like the skilled nursing facility or Um, anything outside of the schools with recruiters, but I do get recruiting calls all the time. And I I will tell you that they are like, we've got a great opportunity in your area. And I wrote this down, but I was like, I'm pretty sure every time I answer the call, I'm like, where, what is my area that you are targeting? Because where do you think I am today? Because I'm probably not where you are. Um, And I know I got them in Ohio often. And they would tell me, they're like, we have a great opportunity in Cleveland. I'm like, I'm in Cincinnati. So not feasible.
2: So I think they mean, well, I don't always get calls like now they have, you know, in emails, text messages or emails. Sorry, I didn't reach you. If you are desperate
1: for a job, you will find that a recruiter will help you get a job. So that is one thing. If you cannot find any job anywhere or if it is like a job desert, a recruiter is a great resource for that. Because some Mm -hmm. places are job deserts that um, depending on what area you're in.
2: Also, some places allocate a certain amount of money for the um, contract workers. And so I have had where I have been in a school district as a contract or as a employee. Mm -hmm. And they offered a contract employee full time over me because they had certain money allotted for that job for contract services that they like allocate in their budget. So you
1: can make more money sometimes as a contract worker. Oh, yeah. But I you mean, also don't always get benefits. So, right. But if you have a spouse yes. that gives you your benefits, I mean, that doesn't matter. Right. I don't know. It all depends on where you are in life, I guess.
2: Right. The point. Exactly. Yeah.
0: So we've touched upon looking for managers and then um, when you're interviewing and trying to get someone who fits your style. But at this point, you both have had several managers. So can you tell us about some of the qualities that you look for in managers and in some of your best managers?
2: So I think it definitely has changed a lot throughout the stage of my life. I, as a CFI, really wanted a manager that I could go to with questions as someone that was starting the jump from schools to private practice. I was loving a boss that would give me my space, but also be there to answer any questions and help out in any way. I have... Now, as a mom, loved the women that are very wanting to have that great work-life balance and being appreciative of having your career, but also being a mom and being able to work a lot when your kids are at school and then kind of be able to be there for the spring break and all those other things that come with having these young kids and being able to not feel really, I think, guilty when you are able to have those experiences and wanting to take your kids for, you know, spring break. And so I've had some employees that have not, it was a really hard process to take off for vacation. You had to give a certain amount of notice. And if more than one person was out at the same time, it could be denied, or they didn't always like it, or they they questioned the reasoning for the type of vacation. So that's been really difficult. But I've also had amazing people that really love that you have those experiences with your family and that you can make up these services when you get back or if you want to. And so I think as each life really changes now, going from kind of that preschool to the school age kids, personally, like my in my family. I think having wonderful bosses that are really wanting me to work when my kids are at school and then allowing and encouraging me to take those vacations and be the mom on the weekends and have that good balance. So that's kind of where I have really now started becoming, those are the questions and those are the things I really appreciate as a manager in this stage of life.
1: I like that. I definitely would look for a manager who's super knowledgeable and skilled in their area of work, um, be it whatever practice it is. So, if it's a private practice, a school, the hospital-based, I really look for somebody who has really wonderful experience themselves, who's willing to teach and willing to take that time to build your skill set, especially as somebody who, you know, was newer in the hospitals. I, I love my manager right now. She is absolutely wonderful and really gets to know each and every one of us on an individual level. She's super organized. Organization key. Cannot hone in on that anymore. Great manager is personable, they're organized. Um, They really want the best for you. Obviously they have to look out for the best for the company as well, but not somebody who's just trying to put a person in a space and check off a box, really trying to get somebody who looks at you as a person and your needs and your goals, but also making sure that they align with theirs as well. But um, somebody who's really supportive, I would say is probably the best thing to look for. And you can really kind of get to know somebody in an interview, but um, also over time, just kind of knowing that um, style of aspect. But asking those questions too, like, you know, uh, do you, are you okay with me if I take off time, you know, if I have kids and that was one thing that I work with now, they were like, we're very family oriented. And I didn't tell them that I had just had a baby because I was nervous to tell mm-hmm. them because not all employers and managers are as Loving to the idea of somebody having kids because, you know, the spring breaks and they get sick. And so finding somebody who really does care, especially if you do have family, that they are flexible, I guess is the biggest thing.
0: Excellent. So Megan and Michelle, now that you've moved several times, sometimes I would imagine your goal is just to get from one place to the next um, and set up shop but what are your current projects and goals now that you seem to be stable for um, the time being (laughs) for now for today do you have any projects or goals that you are working on or thinking about today now that you are here today
2: I think um, working smarter, not harder. Yes. That is a big goal for me, trying to figure out that good balance of my time. And I do have a private practice and I am growing myself, um, have lots of other jobs that I'm working at right now. So trying to figure out what makes the most sense for me and being smarter and more intentional with my time as a mom, having that balance of when I put my kids to bed. Am I having to go do a ton of paperwork and writing evaluations when they go to bed and staying up late? That's something I'm in right now. And that's a really hard type of atmosphere to kind of be able to, you know, push all that, have a hard stop, have your kids uh, do all the things and be a mom. And then kind of when they go to bed at eight or so now that they're age, then working from eight to 10 to kind of get you know, or sometimes longer to get caught up. And so I think that's my big thing is working smarter, not harder and being more intentional with my time and asking those questions or figuring out ways to to kind of do things to make my paperwork process a little bit more, not steamrolled, but achievable in a good timeline instead of just waiting, you know, or only being able to do it when my kids go to bed. So I love that.
1: I would totally go off of you too and working smarter, not harder. I'm key in working harder and not smarter. I literally had a graduate professor tell me, Michelle, you can do with these way easier, help yourself. And so that's something that I will always be working on. And yeah, I think advocating for myself, I'm in this weird limbo. I'm PRN right now, but I have a set schedule with outpatient peds. So I'm technically like, part-time, but I also work in the hospitals and I really want to be in the hospital more often. Um, And so really being able to advocate for myself, because I I think they want me to be more full-time in pediatric outpatient. And that's just not what I want to do. I love peds, but not my long-term goal. So being able to advocate for my needs and my goals, but also being supportive of, you know, my, my employers, but I would really like to, my goal is to be trained and efficient in modified barium swallow studies it's something that I've been I feel like has constantly held me back as being PRN in the hospitals because they don't really need you to do barium swallow studies when you know they have a bunch of other staff that can do them and I'm only Mm -hmm. there a certain amount of time so that's something that I really I want to advocate for my wants and needs because it's hard to do It,
0: it is hard but Michelle, I, I, I believe in no. you. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. If anyone can do it, you can. Thank you. Yeah.
1: I appreciate that. You know, you're always, it's always constantly reinventing yourself and, right. um, you know, holding in on wherever you may be and just taking those extra courses and trying to be as skilled as possible in the area that you find yourself in right. and knowing that you're not pigeonholed in this career. It's wonderful. Right. Um, you can go from private practice to schools to hospitals to sniff if you really want to. Not that I ever want yeah. to sniff, but there are right. positives.
0: Absolutely. It is a great career for being able to change course. And yeah. we've had a few different uh, podcasts on that subject, uh, just that. So I love that. <laughs> yeah, as do I. Okay. So, what is the hardest part about moving? I think definitely starting over.
2: I feel like I am very blessed with wonderful people that I've kept in touch with. And so having wonderful previous coworkers that you can kind of rely on and ask questions in certain settings. And I think starting over and trying to figure out your style and trying to work on the things that maybe didn't work well for you, that past job and what you think would work better, this job, I think has probably been something that I'm continuously trying to work on to be just, yeah, I I feel like I'm always working harder and I want to be more efficient and um, intentional with my time. I love that.
1: Yeah, it's, it's definitely hard to start over because it's like fresh, like, which is also wonderful because nobody knows you. And so like, if something didn't work out in the last place, you can always... Like you said, leave it in the past and focus on the things that you want to change in the future. So if you, you know, really didn't like working in one setting and you want to change to the other, or if you were like, I really hated these hours and why did I do this to myself? But definitely starting over and it takes effort to um, make friends. And like Megan said, it's wonderful having that support network from each place that you go to because not only do you have support system from one state or one location, you, you know, if you do it right, you can have a huge support network, wonderful individuals from state to state and place to place. And if you keep in touch, it really, it, it does. And then and you can, you know, go off of each other and say, okay, well, I'm doing this. Like, what are you thinking about that? Or like, okay, am I in a really weird space? Like, do I need to get out? Just keeping those um, connections, but also being able to make new ones and being open-minded.
2: Or going on your friend's podcast. Yes, of course. That
1: opportunity that you may land. I would never have thought this.
0: And so thank you, Marga. (laughs) Well, thank you for coming on my podcast. I very much appreciate your expertise and your willingness to share the good and the bad of of transferring states. And and it is mostly good. Yes. um, Right. I hope people do find it helpful to learn from your experience thing.
2: I also do have to say that I have also stayed in almost every job that I've ever left. So I continue to have my Connecticut and my Ohio license because I'm still working at the places because I just don't, I get you very just love them, and I love them and I don't want to leave them. So I think that while it can be scary, you just never know. COVID brought that to mm-hmm. us about being able to Continue. Keep up your licenses and can license and continue to work teletherapy in the state that you don't live in. So that's been really nice too. But yeah, you almost are selling yourself, and that, you just Megan, you have, what? What do you mean you're selling you yourself? No, I mean. Like, <laughs> no. Okay, do we need to talk. <laughs> no, you are. <laughs> it's like when you're meeting new people, you're always in that kind of interview mm-hmm. stage in mind frame when you're meeting new people because you want to make meaningful. The impression. Yeah, good impressions. And... So I think that has gotten a lot easier each time. And then it has expanded not only to that, but when you know, you're know you at birthday parties and meeting new parents of your children's friends, I mean, that has really, I think, served me well. And that has been a benefit of moving is so I feel like I'm able to kind of know the important type of conversations to have and take that outside of the like SLP life to a different, you know, personal type of life too.
1: And get to know your coworkers because typically they're wonderful.
2: Right. And you spend so much time with them.
1: Yes. (laughs) More time than you usually do with your husbands or spouses or, you know, significant others or friends, even outside because you're at work most of the time if you're working full time.
0: Which is another reason during that interview process to interview with your potential coworkers. Yeah, um, even ask if, if you offered. can interview with...
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Ask to, you know, can I interview or can I meet a couple of the, the people that work here? Can I have that opportunity? I feel like they'd be more likely than not to be right. excited about that too because the coworkers probably want to get to know about you as well.
2: Right, yeah. I mean, you're being part of their new team and so they mm-hmm. want to figure out, you know, that they have good questions that they want to ask you. And so, right. I agree with that. I
0: love it. Well, excellent advice. We really appreciate you sharing all of this with us today and best of luck in what you are doing today. You know, it really moving really does make you live in the moment, I would think.
1: Right hundred percent and right. embracing and being positive about it too. Cause I feel like right. you can dwell on all of the, the negatives of like, I'm moving, I'm lo- moving away from my family and my friends, but right. looking at it as an adventure and honestly, it's exciting. You know, you really never, fun. you never get bored.
2: Let me tell you. <laughs> and you bond with your family in a way that is you never good. would before. Right. And so you go through a lot of different big milestones and big changes. And so it actually has brought a lot of great things too. So.
0: Good good point. All right. Well, we are coming up on our time. I really appreciate you both sharing and it's been great to talk with you again. And I do feel so lucky that I met you both with, with one of your moves. So. Who knows? Maybe our paths will cross again in work. That would be wonderful. That would be wonderful. Have a great
2: evening and thanks again. Thank you. You as well. All right. Thank you, Mary Beth.
0: Thanks. Thanks for joining us here at Keys for SLPs, providing keys to open new doors to better serve our clients throughout the lifespan. Remember to go to speechtherapypd.com to learn more about earning ASHA CEUs for this episode and more. Thanks for your positive reviews and support. I would love for you to write a quick review and subscribe. Keep up the good work.